Welcome back to the Mulligan Brothers podcast. I am your host, Jordan Mulligan, and today's episode is with David Bayer. We've named David Bayer the mind hacker, but he is a author, a speaker, an entrepreneur, and a CEO. He is the amazing guy behind his transformational programs, and he did some work with me live in this episode, so please stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for his time. I'm so excited to share this one with you guys. It's super, super interesting. Today's episode was made possible, as always, at www.mulliganbrothers.com, where you can now get the Memento Mori poster, which is kind of a hack for me because it's a poster that reminds you that you're going to die. And for me, that ended procrastination. Use code podcast at checkout for 10% off the poster and frame. And also you can get the t-shirts, the journals, the hoodies, at www.mulliganbrothers.com, where all the profits go back into creating these episodes, these documentaries that we create, and the Instagram content. So thank you so much. Let's dive into this amazing episode. For those who don't know, just introduce yourself, who you are, and what you do. Yeah, sure. So my name is David Bayer. I'm a personal development teacher. Um, I run a company called David Bear Businesses. We predominantly work with entrepreneurs, teaching them next level mindset technologies and business strategies so that they can make an impact and change the world through their businesses. And now we're starting to work with more and more individuals, uh, not just entrepreneurs, but uh, moms, dads, employees, leaders um, who are really wanting to go beyond personal development and learn how to actually change the way they think and change the way they feel. Amazing. Um, one thing I want to do just to premise this whole thing is just talk about some of your early days. So like whereabouts you grew up and kind of like what sort of childhood you had? Yeah, so I, I grew up in an upper middle class family in Southern California. I grew up in the OC, Orange County. And my father was a successful attorney. My mother raised myself and my two siblings. And you know, looking back on my childhood, there was nothing glaringly indicative of the fact that all three children would become addicts in some way, shape or form, that I would struggle with drug addiction and alcoholism and sex addiction. Like we, we grew up in a good family, good schools, good neighborhood. And I think that a lot of people get to a point in their you know, 30s, 40s, and 50s, now even in their 20s, where they're confused about why they're feeling stuck, why they're experiencing depression, why they're experiencing anxiety, because the dysfunction isn't overt. Uh, but, you know, both of my parents, who didn't have the tools that we have today for personal growth, came down through a lineage of people who didn't understand how to feel their emotions, who didn't understand how to source self-love from themselves who outsourced self-esteem and that shows up in today's world as a focus on getting good grades, excelling in academics, encouraging your children to achieve. And so I became an achiever and, uh, but you know, over time that desire to achieve or have more success uh, you know, I call it the more monster, right? It becomes insatiable. And so there's a, there's a time and there was a time in my life where like my life no longer became manageable because I didn't have any more room to shove down 
uh, a lot of the things from my childhood that were, were trying to come up. You know, my, my dad was great. I love my dad. But one of the reasons why he was phenomenal as an attorney is because he was a problem solver. So he found problems everywhere. And he was critical. And he wasn't just critical with the contracts that he wrote. He was critical with himself and he was critical with his wife and he was critical with his kids. And my parents were this perfect spiritual union. And that's what we see in relationships with um, husbands and wives or husbands and husbands and wives and wives, whatever it is today. There's, there's this coming together of both common desires and values, but also um, opposites. And so my father fit my mother's template. My mother came from the template of never feeling like she was good enough because she had a mom who made her feel that way and that she was always doing something wrong and that there were all kinds of mistakes that you could make in the world. So you had to be cautious. And so all of that programming created a David who was hypervigilant, always afraid of making a mistake, wanting to try to be this idea of perfect, needing to find self-love through success and achievement. Um, and all of that, you know, really disconnects you from life. You know, you don't have the space or the time to be present for people or present for the moments of life. You're just sort of on this one-way blinders on trajectory for getting to some finish line that doesn't exist where you can achieve enough that you can finally give yourself permission to appreciate yourself and love yourself and appreciate life. But like I said, it's, it's, I think one of the reasons why I eventually evolved into who I am and what I teach is because all of that is, is addictive behavior. And so having, you know, started my journey working through a 12 step program and working through addiction and coming out the other side of it, I kind of woke up and I was like, oh my God, everyone is driven by this addictive psychology, this addictive uh, emotional habituation to fight or flight, right? We've all become addicted to living this way. And, and the irony was like the more quote unquote successful someone was, oftentimes the deeper pain that they were in. And that was my story. Was there, was there a point where you had a turnaround point, a, a, a moment where you switched it up or, I mean, did it happen straight away? Was it like a long process? I know you say the 12-step program. What was that process like for you, breaking out of the addiction? Yeah, so the signs were there for a long time. You know, I started looking at pornography at 13 and it starts out so innocent. It was in the backyard of one of the neighborhood boys who stole his father's magazine and but it creates an emotional experience for you. And so when you're a confused 11 year old, that's already starting to feel not good enough. It's, it's respite. There's a break, right? And so you start looking for those breaks and you start needing those breaks from yourself and from your pain and from this psychology that you've adopted from your parents um, and that suffering experience. And then, you know, as I, as I got older, I had access to more. So, you know, 18, 19 years old, I went away to college and no one's watching me. So, you know, you start drinking and I wasn't an alcoholic, but I was using alcohol to check out. And then I got exposed to marijuana. And then that really became a trifecta for me. Um, there's so much fascinating research and science that's coming out around addiction. And one of the things I'm really grateful for that I've only really recently started talking about because I mentioned it once on stage and, and literally, you know, a dozen men came up to me afterwards was my struggle with sex addiction and pornography. 
And the interesting thing about that is a lot of the research says that the, um, the, the release of, 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 of neurochemicals that, uh, around pornography is second only to something like crystal meth and methamphetamines. Like it's a very strong emotional reaction. And so it creates very um, uh, deep bonds, right? Within the neural networks of your brain. Uh, and I was using drugs and alcohol to get to that high. Um, and so as I've gotten on the other side of it, I realized like I didn't have so much a drug problem or an alcohol problem. Those were gateways to the intense emotional experience of sexual gratification. And so um, the realization that I had that my life had become unmanageable. So I'll speak to that first. Like, when did I realize it? I had glimpses of it. I had hunches of it. People from the outside looking in knew I had a problem. I mean, I had raised over $4 million for a venture-backed technology company back in 2004. I was considered an expert in the search engine optimization field when it was very, very early on. I was running a team of 30 people, um, but I was chaotic. And in 2009, I had an experience where I had tried to manage my uh, drug and alcohol use for probably over a year. Uh, I, I wouldn't drink at all. And then I'd go out on this thing we had called wind down Wednesdays. And I'd just have a blowout Wednesday night after not drinking for a month. I'd swear I'd never smoke pot again. And I was in one of those swearing I'd never smoke marijuana again. And a lot of people smoke marijuana and, you know, we have the legalization of marijuana and marijuana is, um, incredibly dangerous in the sense that the, it, it, uh, how can I say this? It arrests your nervous system. It sequesters your nervous system and it does it so slowly that you don't, aren't really aware of it. And so I had been smoking for over a decade. Um, I didn't realize at the time how much it had cut me off from spirit and intuition and creativity. It was creating a false sense of creativity, but I knew I couldn't stop. So I swore this was the last time I was going to order pot from my pot dealer. And I did. I just wanted one more joint. Uh, and he shows up at my house, delivers the pot. Uh, I end up rolling the joint and I smoke it. And then all of a sudden, after the initial high, I felt the tremendous guilt and shame of the fact that, like I said, I was never going to smoke again. Here I am doing it again. How many times is this going to happen? So I took the bag of marijuana and I filled it up. Uh, I put it in the microwave. I filled it up with water. That's the first thing that I did so that I couldn't uh, smoke it. And I drove it over to uh, a local grocery store and went in back of the grocery store and threw it in one of those, you know, big blue bins in the back where they throw all the garbage. And I came home. And then when the high wore off three hours later, I got back into my car, drove over to the blue garbage bin, crawled into it, grabbed and found the bag of marijuana and then came home and dried it out and smoked another joint. And so like, that was the moment where I was like, wow, I'm, I've, I've got a major problem. Like I cannot control myself. And, um, and so that's when I decided to start working a 12 step program. And at first I went into Alcoholics Anonymous, but I didn't, I just didn't resonate with it. Like I, alcohol wasn't really my problem. Then I started going to Narcotics Anonymous meetings and I didn't really connect with that experience, not knowing really at the time that drugs wasn't really my problem. And then someone recommended a Sex Addicts Anonymous meeting. And that just sounded creepy. It was like something I didn't want to have to deal with or admit. 
And I went into the room and it was very different, like no judgment, but it was very different than the AA and NA meetings I went to where you had people who were physically burned out, right? I mean, they had just destroyed themselves with drugs and alcohol physically. And I went into this SAA meeting and it was a bunch of successful professionals. Like you couldn't tell looking at anyone that they had an addiction problem. And I started listening to what people were saying in terms of what they experienced in their day and how they were emotionally processing it. And I realized over time that this was like a room full of Jedi Knights. Because as my sponsor said, you know, like you can not go to the store and buy alcohol and you can not call your drug dealer and deliver drugs. But when you're struggling with sex addiction, you're walking around with, he says, the pipe between your legs. There's nowhere to go. You can't get away from the drug. And so that program, which took me about 18 months to get any kind of sobriety under my belt, uh, was really a game changer in terms of the development of my self-awareness. Because in order to get clean and sober, I couldn't just stay away from the substance. I had to start to see my mind in advance of the action that it was compelling me to take. And so it was a whole series of... Um, it's called your bottom line, right? You set these boundaries for yourself. And I would violate my bottom line and I'd work with my sponsor and he'd say like, what was the thinking before that? And I just catch the thinking earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier. And so as a result, I started becoming really self-aware. And so I'm super grateful for that experience. But then I got stuck in 12 step. Like I wanted to go beyond the rooms and beyond sort of this idea of I'm just maintaining my life of sobriety. I was like, no, no, I want to go create some extraordinary things. And that was the doorway getting into this thing called personal development. So you, when you talk about your, your childhood specifically, um, I mean, it carries on, it carries over to everyone. Like we all have these experiences that affect us now and who, who we are. How, how do we break down the negative side of those? Like, is there something we can do to sort of change that, um, those beliefs that we've installed in ourselves to change our way of thinking now? Yeah, that's, that's the question, right? Because so much of personal growth and motivation and inspiration has made us aware that we've got these limiting beliefs that come from a time, oftentimes we don't even remember, and they're informing the way we feel today. They're informing the way we act today. When you get into the metaphysical conversation, they're informing what we're co-creating with intelligence itself and the coincidences and synchronicities that show up in our lives. So how do we change that? The first step is awareness. And one of the things that we found is that until you've developed a practice of it, it can be very difficult to notice your thoughts. I mean, we're not all sitting around spending our time meditating in ashrams. Like we're living in the world. We're responding to emails. We're engaging good or bad with social media. We're working with our children or our teens or our partner, you know, whatever it is. So it's not like we're able to just sit back and observe our thinking. And so one of the things that we teach is to start by noticing your emotions. And one of the distinctions that we teach is that there's only two states of being meaning like kind of two emotional states you can be in. We call them powerful states or primal states. And powerful states are states of being that feel good, joy, curiosity, excitement, compassion, passion, um, emotions that feel good. Primal states 
are states that feel bad. So you've got boredom, anxiety, depression, jealousy, anger, the emotional spectrum that you feel when you're comparing yourself to others or you're in overwhelm or you're in indecision. So you've only got these two states. And so what we teach is to pay attention to how you feel in this binary model, because if you ask someone how they feel, they still may not be able to describe it. But if you say, do you feel good or do you feel bad? That's really easy. And so when we're feeling bad or we're in a primal state, that's the beginning of the journey of now looking at the thinking that is manufacturing that feeling that doesn't feel so good, because that's the thinking that we want to start to work with. You know, if, if you're not aware of the thinking that's causing you to move into a primal state or suffering, if you're not aware of the limiting belief, how do you work with it, right? Now, self-awareness isn't enough. We want to become aware and then we want to eventually transform the pattern of thinking. We want to change the neural networks. We want to re-sculpt the dynamic or the resonance of our nervous system. Because as we go even deeper into this conversation, we're powerful creators that are creating in a vibrational reality and your nervous system is both what is receiving information and transmitting information into creation itself. So this game that we're talking about of using your mind to actually rewire your own brain and recondition your own nervous system is like the single most important conversation I think we could be in. But you start out with an awareness that I've moved into a primal state. And a secondary distinction, which sometimes takes some convincing for people, that the only cause of the emotion that I'm feeling is my own thinking. It's the meaning I'm giving the experience I'm having. The experience isn't actually creating the reaction in me. It's the meaning or the thinking I have or the belief I have about the experience. When you get terminated from your job and you become afraid, it's not the termination from your job that's causing the fear, it's what you believe about having just been terminated, right? When you're in an argument with your significant other and you become angry, it's not what your significant other said to you that's actually manufacturing the emotion in you, it's the meaning that you're giving to what they said to you. And that's a really powerful realization because that means our own joy we're fully responsible for right that it's not informed by anything external to us uh, yeah I, I i love the the outlook aspect of it of of how your perception of it is changes everything um, but just on self-awareness uh, just to stick with that for a second how, how do you or, or do you have to convince someone that they need to receive, like to um, seek self-awareness, or do they have to reach some sort of low point? Because I think it's just that 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 the precipice of going over to to sort of find self-awareness is the difficult part. Did they have to hit like a rock bottom to to sort of sit searching for it? Yeah, that's a that's a question I get so often. Like, do you have to hit a rock bottom in order to then begin the journey of self-awareness and transformation? What I've seen historically is that, yes, that's the case, right? Sort of the, the mathematics of reality uh, beats the drum of pain and discomfort louder and louder and louder until we're proverbially brought to our knees and there's nowhere to look but up. What I've been seeing more recently, though, is we have a, a generation of young people who are coming on board that are 
that are having exposure to these concepts before the deep patterns and pains set in. You know, you can go on Instagram and, you know, see a video by Sadhguru or Joe Dispenza or Tony Robbins or myself, you know, and go, wow, like I never really thought about that, you know? So we didn't have exposure to any of this before. It was, it was you know, the, the rogue discovery of Think and Go Rich by Napoleon Hill or stumbling into a Jim Rohn seminar or understanding that the Bible is also in many ways a manual for, you know, how to transform your mind rather than being conformed to the world. So I do think that the journey to evolution, which required a bottoming out historically, is changing because education and information is now available to people in a, a more uh, dispersed way. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, one of the part of our mission is to develop a youth program called Inner University, where we can begin sharing these concepts and with, right, you know, K through 12, um, you know, five years, five years old and up, um, so that young people can begin to understand how their operating system functions, how, what emotions are, um, how to process them. Uh, learning powerful distinctions that likely you and I never learned, I can certainly only speak for myself, like to be with the experiences of my life rather than to try to change them. From the time we're born, right? You cry because that's your authentic experience of you know, having your toy taken away and what do your parents say? Don't cry. So there's this denial of our own experience of reality that starts from the very, very beginning. We express our joy as children and we're told to what? Calm down. And so we're conditioned from a very early age. And remember, this conditioning is going into a programming or a supercomputer called the human being, right? You, there's so much similarity between, you know, machines and machine learning and what we're seeing in neural networks, in artificial intelligence, and, and, and really it being derived from what we understand of the human brain, which is still very little. And so all of that programming is going into a system uh, that is then going to begin to perpetuate that experience forward. And so when you really look at what's happening right now at a mass scale is humanity is living in a reality that's not even real, right? We're, we're viewing the experiences of our life through a lens that alters them. And at a fundamental level, we've been taught to deny the experience itself. And it's no wonder that we've become so fascinated with you know, the machine that sits in our pocket and, and viewing other people's lives and their experiences because we've essentially unlearned how to experience life for ourselves. And then when we experience life for ourselves and the emotions of it, it, it can become shocking. You know, when I came out of 12-step recovery and I was no longer drinking or drugging or sexing or smoking cigarettes, like that's a full-on frontal attack by life. So... You know, and, and life doesn't always feel good. And so this, this reawakening of our emotional spectrum can feel really uncomfortable at first, but it, it's the only way forward. It's the only way to heal. The, the absence of that is what's causing the majority of disease in the world. 
The absence of that is what's causing the majority of divorce in the world. The absence of that is what's causing dysfunctional parenting in the world. The absence of being willing to feel what we feel and to understand how to transform our past creates suffering. And if you look at all the problems in the world today, whether it's climate change or corporatocracy or child trafficking or uh, predatory financial systems or pharmaceutical systems or bad governance, it's all by people who don't understand how to manage themselves emotionally. Because the truth is, happy people don't do the things that are causing the major problems in the world. I love the way you've just explained that. Um, it's so funny because when we, when we look at ourselves as humans, I think we, we quote like thousands of years ago, but the conditioning we receive as children, like that, I don't know why that's so skated over and just not thought of. Like it's ridiculous. Like, like you say about the crying thing. So do you find yourself now crying more, um, getting in touch with that excitement more as a child? Yeah, so I do feel so much more than I used to feel. And I have a much deeper willingness to feel what I'm feeling. And I'm still learning to, 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 to be willing to be with how I feel because a lot of times it's not particularly comfortable. Now, I do think that there's a difference between noticing as an emotion comes up with you and being willing to be with it and to accept it and to accept yourself uh, and indulging in emotions that don't feel good, right? So uh, my own experience is, you know, I, I have a significant amount of anxiety before I get on stage. We do large events. There's thousands of people. I didn't plan on being a personal development teacher. You know, I think there's two types of sort of teachers in personal development. There are the people who aspire to become a personal development celebrity. And then there's the accidental teacher. Like I put myself in the second category. Uh, and so I have a lot of anxiety before I get on stage and doubt about whether or not I'm going to deliver the content well or, um, uh, or, or trusting myself. Uh, or I do live coaching where someone I've never met will stand up in the audience and, you know, share that they've been depressed or anxious or they're on the brink of divorce and I'll coach them through it. There's a lot of uncertainty in that environment. And so I used to want to be a person who wasn't anxious. I used to try to convince myself to not doubt myself. Um, I used to try to affirm myself into, you know, essentially creating certainty where there wasn't certainty. And that just creates a lot of resistance. And what I've learned over time is to just accept and love the fact that I have a part of me that gets anxious and there are parts of me that get overwhelmed and there's parts of me that doubt. Um, and I don't allow those parts to drive my prefrontal cortex. But what I found is as I accept those and then bring those parts forward with me while being who I actually know myself to be as well, which is someone who believes in faith and trusts my vision and can understand that every time there was uncertainty, it created something beautiful, right? I allow that part of me to make the decisions, but I no longer deny myself of how I feel. Just on, on a word you just said then on, on vision. So is that something that you, you do yourself? Do you um, b believe in like having a vision? Yeah, I think vision is absolutely essential. Uh, there was a time in our business recently where I, I, 
I keep my vision in my journal. I map my business vision on a whiteboard that sits in my office. I have a vision for my relationship. I have a vision for my life. I have a vision for my bank account. I have a vision for my impact. I have a vision for the work that I'm doing in the human evolution space. And I think with everything that happened with COVID-19 that year, I lost sight of my vision. We, we moved into so many pivots and just really trying to serve our community and make sure we could survive as a business. And there was such a disruption of the day-to-day norms that we were used to, which ended up being a tremendous blessing. But um, I was sharing with my wife who runs and is president of our company. Uh, I said, you know, things have felt stagnant recently, ever since January when we did the 2021 Bulletproof Business Challenge. And this was now seven months later. And she said, yeah, things have felt stagnant. They felt uninspired. They felt uh, like low energy. And I went into the garage a couple of nights later and I saw the whiteboard that was normally in my office, which was in the garage because we were back in our second home and we had moved. And I looked at the whiteboard and it was the last time that I had done it. And the last month was the January with the 2021 Bulletproof Business Challenge. And like, it shocked me. Like, I understand how important vision is. And what's interesting is that, you know, vision, vision and imagination are so powerful because the brain doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality. So when you give yourself permission to envision a future, you literally start building memories in your brain of events that haven't happened yet. You, you start to create neural networks of your future. And so... I mean, think about how incredibly powerful that is. I mean, it almost sounds like something out of an Avengers movie. And so that change in your brain that holds the vision of the future now is what starts to tune you in to the thoughts and the ideas that will bridge the gap between the now and the future. It begins to alter your perception so that you pay attention to things that will bridge the gap between now and the future. You begin to program your unconscious mind with that future. And so you start making decisions that you're not even aware of that become the bridge between now and that future. And then of course, you know, we live in a vibrational reality. Your brain is this electrical output device. Every time you think you're creating electrical signals in your brain, that's interacting and transmitting with an energetic reality you can go back to high school science and understand that the table that's in front of you is 99.9% nothing, right? It's our tactile senses and our vision and our olfactory and our taste and our hearing. It's like browsers that are interpreting this matrix-like fluctuating energetic reality into a physical reality. So when you think thoughts, you're, you're essentially adding to that energetic pool. And so that vision is also contributing to you outputting energy that's creating coincidences and synchronicities to bridge the gap between now and that vision. The vision is essential. And it reminds me of a quote that I think was attributed to Dwight D. Eisenhower that said, plans are useless, planning is essential. Every vision board I ever created, and I like to create the timing, January through December, what I'm gonna achieve, when I'm gonna do it, Never have I ever achieved even close to everything on that vision board. But what, do I, what I did achieve was amazing. But the absence of the vision board 
for just six months in my life brought everything to a screeching halt. And that, again, just shocked me. Like, it's profound. And so sometimes people will get vision board burnout because they're like, well, I'm creating the vision, but that's not what I actually created in my life. And I would say that's not actually really the important part. Just keep holding the vision. Over time, you'll get there. But in the meantime, you'll create extraordinary things that you absolutely love because you've, you're, you're going through the planning process for your future, right? The actual results of the plan as well. I mean, for, for me, um, vision is everything. And it's funny when you say like it creates like the, was it neural, what did you say, just so I got it right? You know, there was a study done in 2009. It was featured in Time Magazine at Harvard where they brought in piano players to play the piano. They played the piano and they studied what parts of their brain lit up. Then they had to come back and imagine playing the piano and essentially the same parts of the brain lit up. And so when, when you're willing to engage in vision, most people get stuck because they're like, I don't know how. So I'm going to wait till I know how to really indulge my future. But if you're willing to indulge your future now, you begin to create neural networks of a future memory that hasn't happened yet. Right. So now you're walking around with your future between your ears. And, and so people get it backwards. They're like, well, I don't know how I'm going to create a successful business, or I don't know how I'm going to have an amazing relationship, or I don't know how I'm going to find my soulmate. And so because I don't know how, I'm not going to indulge imagination or vision. And so they end up getting stuck because that how that they're looking for comes through the changing of your brain as a result of imagination. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're enjoying this episode with David Bayer, please consider supporting us at www.mulliganbrothers.com where you can get the t-shirts, hoodies, the journals, and the poster. Use code PODCAST at checkout for 10% off the poster and frame. And yeah, all the profits, as always, go back into creating this content. Before that, let's dive back into the episode. It's funny, with um, the studio, the Mulligan Brothers studio, we visioned this probably like five years ago and when we finally got here and it's very similar to how we always we always had it in our vision it just it wasn't like a shock like it felt like it already happened and like I find that a lot with visioning that it when you arrive at that place it feels like it's already happened and that must be those memories that you've pre-created um so this is where I'm super interested is the whole mind hack, like all of these things like, and for, so yeah, if you could just go into mind hack and like, I know there's so much to talk about, um, but I'd love to just hear your thoughts on it and yeah, your opinions. Sure. Yeah. There's so, there's so much for us to talk about, you know, it's personal development is not that complicated at the end of the day. And I think personal development and mindset isn't, even an appropriate name for what we're talking about. You know, this thing called mindset is the linchpin of the evolution of the human species. We're talking about a species that has evolved that can receive intelligence or life or spirit itself into itself, like all living organisms. All living organisms have structures, ours is the brain, that can receive life into the body. But the human being is unique because the human being is actually aware of its own thinking, right? The human being has this thing that we've named mind. And so we have the ability to actually question our thinking and change our thinking 
And when we change our thinking, we actually change our brain. I mean, we're a self-re-engineering species. There isn't anything else like it that we've seen on the planet. And so this is part of our evolutionary process. We are now beginning to learn how to rewire our brain and redesign our nervous systems. And that is the evolutionary leap because we share with other species, for the most part, the fight or flight mechanism, right? It's built in instinctually. We've got we talked about before two states of being, powerful states and primal states. That maps to the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. You're either in rest and relaxation and, and regeneration, which is your place of power, which is where you're actually connected directly to the source of all intelligence and that greater part of you because you're at rest or you're in tension, right? You're in fight or flight. And so what we're talking about is our own individual capacity to begin to dehabituate ourselves from fight or flight. To start to change our thinking so that we're not reacting as much. So that we're in natural flow states. So that we give the body the space it needs to heal itself. The vast majority of disease is caused by being in unnecessary prolonged periods of fight or flight. It used to be that we'd be in fight or flight when we were threatened, right? From a, from a mortal threat. Now you're in fight or flight because you're sitting in the cafe looking at the menu, wanting to order the croissant, but feeling like you shouldn't because you're overweight or you weigh more than you'd like to and you've been trying to diet, but you don't know if you should cheat. And you go through this whole conversation in your head, literally the most mundane things move us into fight or flight. And so that's breaking us down as a species. And so it's a call for evolution. And at the core of all of it is to relax. It's to relax. BJ Palmer, who's the founder of chiropractic, which you know is a, a school of medicine that fully relies on the body's capacity to heal itself, that there's an innate intelligence within the body that can resolve any type of dis-ease or dysfunction as long as the body is aligned. So in chiropractic, they're looking for misalignment, which creates resistance. BJ Palmer said, nature needs no help, just no resistance. And so what we're really looking at, Jordan, is what's the resistance and how do we remove it? That's very different than feeling like you actually need to be something that you're not, that there's something you have to acquire, a skill you need to develop, that you need to somehow become more you're already all you need to be. There's just some resistance. And so we need to identify the resistance and remove it. When we do, courage naturally exists. When we do, compassion naturally exists. When we do, wealth naturally exists. When we do, intelligence naturally exists. So we're not trying to become more wealthy or become more intelligent or become more compassionate or become more courageous. We're just trying to figure out what's preventing all of that, which is naturally inside of us from being our experience. And that conversation then settles on our beliefs, our beliefs and our emotions. And so the way through it again, and there's a lot of roads to the top of the mountain, I just found this to be my experiences most efficient because I spent years trying to feel better in personal development unsuccessfully, is to understand a couple of things. Number one, as we mentioned before, that there's only two states of emotion 
powerful states and primal states. The parasympathetic nervous system is active and the sympathetic nervous system is active. And the name of the game is to be in parasympathetic more, to be in a powerful state. And so we say, okay, got it. So what causes me to move into a primal state? Stress, anxiety, overwhelm, anger, and jealousy. And what we see is that it's not the experiences of your life, it's the meaning that you're giving it. So that's kind of step two. Take responsibility that you are the architect of your own emotional experience and that the only thing causing your emotions is the meaning that you're giving, whatever you're experiencing. What we also found was not only is the only cause of all of your personal suffering your own thinking, but that the quality of the thinking is that it's 100% of the time untrue. So your nervous system is designed to move you into a primal state, stress, anxiety, overwhelm, when you're entangling with thoughts or ideas that aren't in alignment with the resonance of reality. Reality has a resonance. The Hindus might describe it as the Om resonance. Christians might describe it as the Amen resonance. Um, sacred geometrists, right, describe sort of the mathematical structure of reality. Um, oftentimes it's described as love. And the truth is, is that reality is a superorganism. We're just part of it. And so all of life is a superorganism that's connected. And we like to just call it intelligence. Some people call it God or Allah or Jesus. We just look at it as the superorganism of intelligence. It includes the cosmos. It is the cosmos. And it's intelligent at a macroscopic level, right? The perfectly orbiting constellations that don't crash into each other. It's observable on a planetary level, that perfect little thin blue line of, uh, of, of oxygen and carbon dioxide and, uh, and, and other elemental factors that allow life on this planet to exist. You can see it if you just watch the Our Planet documentary by David Attenborough and you look at the incredible intelligence of how the entire world's ecosystems operate together. And then we can see it within our own bodies and the mir miracle of the fact that you can cut your skin and within a couple of days, it grows back, that you don't have to beat your own heart, that you don't have to pump your own blood. Intelligence is everywhere. It's all that is. And so there are laws that govern this intelligence. And one of the fundamental laws is that it is working in infinitely intelligent and expansive ways for your greatest growth, your greatest prosperity, and your greatest evolution. Always. Always and every moment. So, so when something doesn't go the way that you expect it to, you move into a primal state because you misunderstand that it's going exactly the way it should be going. And so this is another way of describing acceptance and surrender to life. But how can you accept and surrender to life if you doubt that life is working for you? So when you begin to entertain notions that life is not working for you, it creates dissonant energy in your body. It's not in alignment with the energy of reality itself. Think of it as a plus and a minus. The beautiful, infinite intelligence of life that's always working for you in every experience you have, even when your girlfriend breaks up with you, and even when you lose your job, and even when you lose a loved one, and even when you have a diagnosis of a disease, and when things are not going the way that you expect it to, life is actually always working for you. That's a positive energy. But when you have this idea that it should be other 
than what it is, and that life is somehow a problem, that's a negative energy. And you experience that dissonance in your nervous system as a primal state. So my practice is to notice when I move into a primal state, because I know that one thing is happening, and that is I'm thinking something that's not true. So that is sort of the 50% of the work of meeting your thought within a container of what's really true. Because now I get to look at that thought and go, you know, she shouldn't have said that. That's making me angry. Now, if she shouldn't have said that is moving me into a primal state, then I know that it's not true. And I can begin to question it. And if it's not true, some form of the opposite must be true. So I go, wait a minute. She should have said that to me? Yeah, I guess she should have said that to me. Why? Oh, because she was triggered. Because she's had her own experiences in her own life that have caused her to interpret this interaction we're having as threatening. She's having a rough day. Her cup is full. Of course she should have said what she said to me. I don't have to agree with it. But just notice how the emotional tone changes now. Now I'm compassionate. Now I'm empathetic. And that's naturally there when you're aligned with reality itself. And so the biggest problem that we have as people is that we deny what is, right? We think life should be going other than the way it is because we don't fully buy into the idea that life is working for us in every single experience. But what's so fascinating about it is if we look back on the challenges and tragedies of our life, we're all able to see that they were actually the pathway to some of the things that we cherish most in our lives and who and, and, and the greatest attributes that we're proud of in ourselves. So we become impatient in our evaluation of the present moment. So in order to create real change, you have to have a philosophy that is sort of the container of this conversation. That's why Einstein said the most important decision you make is whether you live in a friendly or hostile universe. We should listen to some of the greatest thinkers of all time. The most important decision you make is whether you live in a friendly or hostile universe. The most important decision you can make is whether life is working for you moment by moment for your greatest growth, your greatest prosperity, your greatest evolution or not. Because now you have a philosophy that you can operate in and a tool set. Oh, I have only two states of being. The only cause of me moving into a primal state is my own thinking. The quality of the thinking that moves me into primal state is dissonant thinking. It's not true. It's not aligned with what's really happening here. Now I can start to question that and say, well, if that's not true, then some form of the opposite must be true. And now I can begin to explore new possibilities. And the moment you actually see one of those new possibilities that will feel better, it'll align you with a powerful state. It'll be more congruent with the outcomes you're trying to produce. The moment you actually see that, what you also see simultaneously is that what I was thinking before makes no sense. And that's transformation. The moment you can see your unintelligent thinking is unintelligent, you can't unsee it. And so what I found was that was the fastest way to producing more permanent change in the way that I was experiencing life. Because I was going to personal development events and jumping up and down for three days and feeling really, really excited and open to a whole new possibility of life or my business or my health or my relationships. And then I'd go home and two days later, I'd have a personal development hangover. I felt even worse than I did before. And the truth was, yeah, because I went home with the same brain. But your brain is looking for efficiency. 
So if you can actually experience that your limiting belief makes no sense, it blows those neural networks out pretty quickly. The brain goes, there's really no read for us to go back to that as frequently. Now, again, it's a practice because you'll go out, you'll get triggered by the same thing, but now you've actually seen the thinking is unintelligent. Now you've actually seen the new decision or the truth or the interpretation that you've created. And this becomes the daily practice. This is the mind hack. So the, yeah, so beyond, so the self-awareness and, and uh, keeping that in mind throughout the day, is there anything beyond that or is it pure self-awareness? Yeah, if you can be aware that you believe money's hard to make or that you can't trust people or that there's not enough time, right? But so what? The next step is to say, well, this feeling that I don't have enough time doesn't feel good. So it must not be true. So the opposite must be true. And then you'd go, well, but I do have enough time. How could that be true? And you start to really discover new philosophies for yourself. For example, I used to be overwhelmed all the time. And if you look at overwhelm, the belief behind it is there's not enough time. I'm not going to get it all done. If I don't get it all done, I will fail. It will fail. I will be a failure. And I have no help and I'm doing it all alone. That's generally the recipe for overwhelm. But none of that's true. The truth is, is that I'm co-creating with intelligence. That synchronicities and coincidences have shown up throughout my entire life. That oftentimes when I thought I needed to get something done on a timeline, I learned later that the timeline wasn't really the timeline. It was just something I made up in my head. That so many times resources have shown up at the 11th hour to support me in accomplishing something I needed to accomplish. That in those times where I wasn't able to accomplish it on time, I was able to look back and see that that was absolutely perfect because it changed the way that I actually did it when I finally got it done. And so now when I'm overwhelmed, I notice the thinking that shows up that tells me if I don't get it all done, I'm going to fail. But I also have this capacity now to go, but that's not even true. What's true is I put in a solid effort and I do the best I can today and I surrender the rest till tomorrow, right? So that's going beyond self-awareness. That's changing your perception of reality. It's changing your fundamental beliefs through using a simple process and tool set that now allows me to relax when I used to be overwhelmed, right? The irony, of course, is that if you're overwhelmed, you will run out of time because you're not operating from an efficient and powerful place. So that's why I said the key to everything is to return to a relaxation. A relaxation is a connection with reality, with what's real, right? And what's real is life doesn't demand more from us than we're able to deliver in the time that we're allotted. That would be a cruel universe, wouldn't it? Beyond... Um... The, the idea of self-awareness and the idea of trying to transform. Is, is there anything, I know your, um, your seminars are probably have so much information, but are there sort of small things that people can do? Um, little, I don't know, if, if, there's, if there's like an, an action somebody could take or an exercise that somebody could do on a daily basis that could help them? 
Yeah. So I think you need a couple of things, Jordan. You have to have a philosophy. And this is why real transformation is challenging for so many people. You have to have a philosophy. And we talked about a piece of the philosophy. Life's always working for me. It's a powerful piece of the philosophy. Number two, you have to understand how you operate, right? That the thoughts that you think are happening automatically as a reaction to the experiences that you're having. And that any thought you're having that's causing you to move into a primal state or not feel good is a limiting belief, right? And then it's to begin questioning your own thinking through that lens. Say, okay, if, if life is always working for me and this thinking is causing me to move into a primal state, it's not true, but it seems true to me, right? Now you begin to explore the thinking. Are there other possibilities about what's going on right now? And so that's, you know, for me, that's the process. Because ultimately from there, you can start to make some new decisions. We teach a concept called the power of decision, which is that the moment you decide something new, it radically transforms your experience of life. So if we can get you to decide that money's easy to make, then all of a sudden you'll start having thoughts and ideas about making money easily. The part of your brain called the reticular activating system that's been paying attention to how hard it is to make money will recalibrate and start paying attention to easy ways to make money. So you'll start perceiving opportunities. And then you'll also start creating synchronicities and coincidences to make money easily. Right? Decisions are powerful. But in order to free yourself up to do that, you've also got to be able to see that your previous belief that money was hard to make is unintelligent and doesn't make any sense. So if I was going to give someone something simple to walk away with, it would be It's not a simple conversation. You know, I don't want to, there, there are a lot of tools that teachers are putting out there as the quick takeaway, right? Um, and I don't, and I think in many ways it does more harm than good for people because they collect all of these individual hacks but they're still experiencing a significant amount of unintelligent thinking patterns and they don't know how to change them. Um, and so my biggest takeaway for people usually is to be aware that there are only two states of being and that anytime you've moved into a primal state, it's because you're entangled with a limiting belief and to identify the limiting belief and to explore what the opposite would be and to see if you can actually find evidence for the fact that the opposite is more true than the limiting belief. It's not a cure-all, right? People spend a year learning our methodologies and our technologies to learn how to develop the relaxation response, to enhance their visualization capacity, to identify the traumas of their past and to integrate them uh, into, into their nervous system.
to learn about the power of decision and how to be more intentional around your creation, to understand how the nervous system works and to start using it for when you've disconnected from reality and aren't your personal power. But that's all, that's a, that's a, a manual, right? For transformation. So do people go through it and describe it as a hack? Yes. But you know, it's not drink 20 ounces of water in the morning with a little bit of sea salt. Yeah. I think um, the word hack has been associated with like quick fixes and stuff. So um what you're talking about would obviously require a lot of time, which is the the fantastic thing about it is it's worth the effort. Um, where Where's the best, if somebody was to try and book onto a seminar of yours or um, online train or anything like that, have you got a resources where people can find you? Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot. I've got some videos. We need more on YouTube. So people can just look up David Bayer on YouTube. Um, we've got davidbayer.com. Uh, where I do have my mind hack ebook for free download, which is a great place to start uh, and start to get into our community and our email communications. Uh, and then once a year, we do uh, an unbelievable event. It was named a top three must attend personal growth event for entrepreneurs by Inc. Magazine. But we have a lot of people who aren't entrepreneurs who attend. Uh, it's called the Powerful Living Experience. And so that's just powerfullivingexperience.com. And we've got some really amazing uh, promo videos. And it's just, it's an unbelievable three-day, you know, immersive transformational experience. What so, would, and I got my Instagram and some other stuff, but, but that's where I would, I would recommend. What, what typically happen at uh, one of, because I've never been to one of these uh, events before. So I'd love to know what would happen at an event like yours? Sure. So, so day one, we explain really the technology of you, how you operate as a human being, how your thoughts work, how your emotions work. Uh, and we do that against the backdrop of you evaluating your life and identifying where the greatest gap is and us utilizing the tools over the course of day one, along with the education of kind of how, how you function as a human being and, and, and why you're feeling the way you're feeling to transform that one area of your life. And so by the end of day one, you've learned the entire technology. You more importantly, you've experienced the technology uh, and you've, you've used it to transform something really meaningful that doesn't serve you, that you've been thinking and feeling for a long, long time. And you're doing it with a community of people who have oftentimes been in personal development for decades who are now ready for the next level. So the, the, the group of people that it attracts are amazing. Uh, and most people are wanting to get to the next level because they're wanting to do what they are destined to do to take the world to the next level. So it's a lot of like impact driven world changers. And day two, uh, we really begin to tap into the vision component that you and I talked about, get even more clarity around the greatness and genius that resides inside of you, understand how to develop and nurture the relationship with your inspiration and your intuition. Um, we do some business foundational business trainings on day two. Uh, and we've got some special guests that come in and help you really embody strength and power and your greatness because the teachings and trainings are fantastic. You have to understand the information, but the integration piece is the experience. Um, and then in day three, we take things to a whole new level where um, I share my philosophy on how the universe has unfolded 
explain the superorganism of intelligence, explain how we are all connected to this superorganism, uh, and how essentially over time we've developed little knots in our brains that are preventing the full flow through of power that we are connected to. It's a conversation on the back of a lot of wisdom teachings and quantum theory and field theory. Uh, so it kind of explains how the reality of the matrix works. Uh, and then we take people into deep experiences of being fully connected to the power of life itself. Um, we also teach on our, um, on our health philosophy uh, and how all healing is inside of you and what the source of disease is and how the intelligence of the body works. And so it, all three days um, are based off of the fundamental philosophy and understanding we have uh, that there is a reality that's governed by intelligence. We are an extension and expression of it. And when we learn how to align ourselves with that reality, we get to have a powerful living experience. I love it. Um, it's, it's, it sounds so interesting. I'll, I'll link everything down below. Um, awesome. Thank you so much. I can't, can't wait. Can't wait to have you guys to it. It'll be, I mean, that would be amazing. That would yeah. be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the dates are always current on the site, so it'll be great. Wicked. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. It's like, re it really is appreciated. Um, and hopefully we can do this again in the future as well and, uh, uh, come out to see you and get some stuff, uh, filmed and do some other projects. Sounds really interesting. Yeah. That sounds great, Jordan. Okay. Appreciate thank you. It. Yeah. Uh, okay. That, that was fantastic. Um, Hey Jordan, I want to share one more thing with you too. Another perspective, like what we're really talking about is a game of energy. And so when you move into a primal state, you're expending all of your energy on fight or flight survival thinking and all the neurochemistry and neurobiology that takes place in your body when you're in fight or flight. And so when you're in parasympathetic, which is a powerful state, you're energy rich. And so the, the game is about energy because when you have enough energy, uh, you've got resource to overcome any challenge that may show up. Um, you're directly connected to the source of energy which is intelligence. So you have the ideas, the inspiration, the intuition. And so what we're really looking for is how do we stay in an energy rich environment? And the answer to that question is we stay connected to reality. When we're disconnected from reality, we're in an energy poor environment. When we're connected to what's real, we're in an energy rich environment. Just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yep. Okay. And so that thing that disconnects us from Reality are these programs, these thoughts, and these emotions that were misinterpretations of reality that we continue to live through today. And they put you in a low energetic state. And so that's why I think this approach of noticing when you've moved into low energy and when you've moved into higher energy is such a great starting point for the daily practice of transformation. And then again, it breaks down into, okay, there's two states of being and the only thing causing this low energy is my own thinking. And the quality of the low energetic thinking is that it's not true. And so I can begin to question, you know, my thinking around it, but it's, it's an energy management game. I love it. I'm, uh, do you mind if I use that in, in the videos? Okay. Yeah, it's fine. I, I, I don't know if you got the material that you wanted. I, I, I kind of, at one point was like, gosh, can I make this more simple for people? Because I don't want it to be complicated. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to oversimplify it. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think when we were talking about the the hack and the, the simple tip, and it's like 
it is so hard to quantify, like just to put it into one simple thing. And it, like, it can be more damaging to do that sometimes. Um, so yeah, hopefully we can just uh, make something nice out of this piece. Um, but yeah, definitely something to think about. I mean, for, for us recently, um, I feel like something's changed quite a lot. We're, we're finishing this documentary off, which is quite a, uh, that was not quite, it's the most important thing we've ever done, like to get this. Yeah, and congratulations. Thank you, thank you. And yeah. I think it's a lot of false thoughts that come to mind that are putting restrictions on us at the moment. And it's it's so strange how um, the emotions are changing and a, a lot of things change around. And I think it is that those two, those two states of being that we need to decide where we're at. Like what false thought, for example? Um, not capable, like not capable of, of doing this, um, is probably the biggest one. Um, and so, so the, the, and, and that was, is still there even after you've completed the documentary, is it moving into now the selling of the documentary also? We're, we're, we're in the editing phase now. So we're, we're, we're halfway through the editing phase. So that's the, where we're, I think we're like, oh, are we capable of doing this? But it, it has been, I think a lot of that was down to inaction. So fear that we were not capable of doing it. Now that we've right. kind of started, it's starting, it's definitely starting to fade that feeling. So let's, let's work this for a second. You got a minute? Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. Yeah. So when you believe you're not capable of something, it's problematic because the brain is a goal achieving machine. So whatever you believe, like I'm not capable of this. Mm. Well, on a moment by moment basis, as you're engaged with whatever the thing is that you're concerned you're not capable of doing, it'll produce thoughts of incapability. Mm -hmm. You'll you'll notice those pieces that you don't do well. You'll have a creative block. Um, You'll start to think to yourself, oh, this footage wasn't very good. Maybe this whole thing was a mistake, right? So at, at the foundation is the belief. But then in the moment is thinking. But the thinking is aligned with the belief. It's like you get an apple from an apple tree, right? When you're now thinking these belief-manufactured thoughts in the midst of the activity, you actually begin to feel whatever those thoughts are projecting. So you begin to feel the documentary that is not very good. You begin to feel like you're not very good. You start to feel a failure of something that hasn't happened yet, right? So you begin to experience the emotions of a future that you don't want. Your emotions, which are manufactured by those thoughts, which came from the belief, your emotions determine your actions. They determine your actions, the choices that you're making in editing your documentary, right? The ideas that you do or do not have. So you begin to actually embody this, I'm not capable. It reminds me of in scripture where it says the word becomes flesh. The belief becomes you. And so you start to become incapable because you are feeling incapable because you are thinking incapable. And now we look at the results and you look at the results and they're not what you're capable of doing. It's not your full creative expression. It's not your best work. And that then reinforces the belief that, see, I knew it. I wasn't capable. But the truth is, it's not that you produced work that 
was below your capacity because it's true that you're not capable. You produced work that was below your capacity simply because you believed you were incapable. Because that is the way the human being operating system works. Your beliefs produce thoughts, produce emotions, produce actions, produce results, and those results reinforce the beliefs. And that's why we say very succinctly, the brain is a goal achieving machine. And so if we were to apply our methodology to it, right, we would look at this belief or this thought that I'm incapable. And I would say, well, does that move you into a powerful state or a primal state? Hmm. What's, what's your answer? Uh, I'm in a primal state when I'm like that, yeah. You're in a primal state, right. Now, you know our methodology now. If, if the thinking of I'm not capable of doing this is moving into you into a primal state, what do we know about that thinking? Is it true or is it untrue? Yeah, it's untrue, yeah. It's untrue. So then we say, okay, so this idea that I'm incapable is not true. So what must be true is what? We are more than capable. Yeah. You're more than capable. And then we would say, okay, so what evidence do you have, Jordan, for the fact that you're more than capable? Because this is where we start to activate the supportive neural networks and memories and evidence that you've already accumulated in your life to get this new belief to become the predominant belief. Mm. So like, what evidence do you have that you're more than capable? Uh, we've shot like really beautiful documentaries in the past, mini documentaries. We've had fantastic feedback from industry. So yeah, it's, it's definitely there. So I need to, yeah. Great. So you have your own part and you can't skip this part. You, okay. I mean, you come up with a list for it, right? And then by the time you're done with it, you're like, I'm really fucking capable. Like I can't <laughs> even believe I was doubting my capacity, right? Mm-hmm. I can believe it because it's just a part of me and I don't hate it. I'm not trying to stuff it down. I'm not trying to get rid of it. Oh, that's what it feels like to be incapable. That was when I was, you know, six years old and someone yeah. told me that I couldn't do something. But then you combine all of this real life evidence you have of capability with philosophical evidence. And this is why the philosophy of what we teach is so important because, and I don't know if you have a religious background, a spiritual a belief system, or you just believe in laws of, that govern nature or, or, mm. or, or the universe, but you and I could look at this in a very um, unreligious way and say, okay, don't you think that the vision is in a sense given to you for this documentary? Are you called to do this documentary? I feel like that. Yeah. Okay. And so it would be a stretch to say that the vision that we all have is something that's kind of given to us by a greater part of ourselves. It's like a, a calling to go do something. Definitely. Right. So do you think that you would be given a vision that you had the lack of capacity for? No. <laughs> no. No. It goes back to Einstein's most important decision. I mean, that's like a very Old Testament God. Let me give Jordan something that excites him that he's going to dedicate a year or more of his life to that's going to cost him a bunch of money that he's going to get down to editing and not be capable of doing. <laughs> yeah, it would be cruel. <laughs> right. So we see that. And the power, I believe, of what we just walked through is I wasn't trying to convince you of anything other than what you actually believe that you just had sort of forgotten or not applied to the situation, mm-hmm. right? You really believe 
that you've been given a vision and that if you were given a vision, you'd be given all the tools and resources and capacity to actually make it happen. And that combined with your own collecting of evidence of your own life, of how you're more than capable and you and the team are more than capable, now becomes the foundation for a new decision. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be times when you're editing where you forget that. You hit a little snag and it triggers you. You go, shit, am I really capable of this? And then you go, wait a minute, I'm, I'm already playing this game, right? But before we had this conversation, you didn't have the evidence that you now have. But you're never going to look at, when you're aware of the thinking that you're incapable, you're never going to look at it the same way ever again. Are you? No, I love that. Thank you. I, I will hold okay. that. Definitely. Over this, is, this is real transformation. And it didn't take years of therapy, right? It, it, it didn't take even you going to a three-day event. And it reminds me of one of the clients I worked with who felt like he wasn't, uh, he wasn't, um, he didn't belong. He called me one night. He's like, hey, I was at this like really amazing get together with these movers and shakers in Miami. It was the top real estate, you know, person in Miami. It was the top DJ, the top restaurant tour, the top this, top that. And he's like, I was invited to have dinner with them because I was sort of identified as like a top person, right? 29 years old, running a multi $10 million um, company, had been very, very successful since he was younger, uh, Egyptian Muslim. So I said, okay, what's the problem? He goes, well, I moved into a primal state last night and I couldn't get out of it. I said, okay, cool. So what'd you do? He goes, well, I remember what you said, that the only cause of me moving into suffering is my own thinking. I said, okay, great. He says, so I looked at the thinking. I was like, what'd you find? And he said that I don't belong here. It's like, oh, he's like, yeah, it started out like at the core of it was I don't belong here. But then it was like, maybe this is a joke. Maybe they thought I was somebody else. Maybe there's going to be a big surprise where they're like, you're the loser in the group. Ha, 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 like out of a movie, right? And he's like, I just felt stressed. I couldn't be present with anybody. Like I, I, I just now I'm embarrassed about the way that I showed up. I said, well, what'd you do when you noticed that what you were thinking was you didn't belong here? He goes, well, I knew that it wasn't true because that's what you teach, but I couldn't see it as untrue. He was stuck in self-awareness. And this is where you, you, know, you and I have talked about, and I'm going to language some of this this way because I think you may want to use some of what we just did here. Like, it's just, it's yeah. quick, it's powerful, right? So I'm going to describe it as you and I have talked about, not we just talked about. You and I have, you and I have talked about uh, how self-awareness isn't enough. I mean, we have a whole generation of people who are stuck in self-awareness. They're aware of the fact that they feel like they're not capable and they know it's impacting them in negative ways, but they don't know how to change it. And so uh, I said, okay, got it to my client. So, so you, you, the thinking is that you don't belong, but you can't see that as untrue. He was like, no, I think it's true. Like these people were amazing. It was even the vice president of the like Miami Heat professional basketball team. <laughs> okay. So he's trying to continue to reinforce this idea, but I'm not buying into it. Now I had leverage with him. I had been coaching with him. I knew, I knew what his belief systems were. So I said, let me ask you a question. I said, you believe in God, don't you? Now you don't have to pull the God card. You, obviously I don't do that with someone I'm coaching who doesn't believe in God, but he did. So do you believe in God, don't you? He said, yes. He's a devoutly religious Muslim. I said, uh, yeah, so your God, is he the omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing kind of God? He goes, yeah, that's him. I said, got it. So let me ask you a question. Uh, how did he put you in a place that you didn't belong last night? 
And there was just like dead silence on the other side of the phone. And I hear him say, oh my God. And I said, what? He said, I belong everywhere I am. That's transformation, right? It's a fundamental reorientation to your reality that can happen in a split second around something that has been plaguing you your whole life. Because I'm not trying to get him in front of a mirror affirming to himself, I belong, I belong, I belong, I belong, I belong. Frankly, I could have never even come up with that, I belong everywhere I am, right? I just took him into the unintelligence of the thinking and asked him a couple of questions to see what was really true for him. And that's what he discovered. Now, does that mean the next time he goes out to something like that, he's not going to feel like he doesn't belong? No, but now he's got weapons. Now he comes to the game with an army, right? Because he's going to notice faster than ever before that he's moved into, I don't belong here. And he's going to be able to bring into that conversation faster, more powerfully than ever before. No, no, I belong everywhere I am. And so that's, that to me is what's so exciting about this approach to transformation is that there's a single moment of real transformation. And I would describe it as the moment you see your unintelligent thinking is unintelligent. The moment you see that your limiting belief isn't true anymore. It's like, bam, like you can't unsee it. There may still be some echo effect around it and some practice. That's the practice of being in the work on a moment by moment basis. But now you've got the tools for real change. I'm, I'm keeping that. Yeah, really am. Like it, it is like you say, it's like that. It was, uh, thank you so much. Um, I'm yeah. going to share this with my two brothers as well, because they're, they're in their editing as well. So, <laughs> Thank you so much to David for doing this episode with us and also doing the coaching with me at the end. He is an amazing person who is transforming people's lives through his programs, through his content, through his books, uh, and for his daily interactions, because he's an absolutely fantastic guy who helped me out massively. Uh, I want to say thank you to everybody who made this podcast possible as well, and especially you guys who support us at www.mulliganbrothers.com. The t-shirt sales, the hoodies and journals have been insane. Uh, everybody who's ordered the poster, the Memento Mori poster, thank you so much. Code podcast at checkout gets you 10% off the poster right now. But all that support that we've had, um, yeah, it means a lot to us. It means we can do this. It means we can fly around the world and get episodes and podcasts and documentaries. So thank you to everybody. Thank you for all the love and support. Um, I want to leave you with this today is remember, you know, we work on our physical body every single day. And most of us do who listen to this. We go for runs. We go to the gym. We put food in our body that is healthy or not healthy, whatever it is, but I think a lot of us out there have this ability to be able to look at our physical body and go, you know what, I'm going to work on that. So few of us look inside the mind and think that I'm going to work on that. So few of us decide to meditate and open up that stillness that we need. So few of us decide to put the right information, as I would call fuel, into the brain that will drive it towards our goal. So few of us, and this is the saddest one of all, which will lead to the biggest change in your life. So few of us have awareness, awareness of why we are a certain way. We know a lot of the time why our knees hurt. We did a certain thing. We know why our back hurts. We know why we don't feel great today. We didn't have the right food. But when our mind is suffering, 
when our brain isn't operating at the capacity it could be, we have no awareness. If somebody upsets you in the street from a passing comment, we have no awareness as to why that makes us feel that way. What was it that happened to us at some point that we were so invested in a stranger's opinion on us? If you received social media hate, why did that hurt us? What upset us about that? Why are we invested in this random person's opinion? Why are we invested in the words that they said? If they said a certain thing, is it because there's some truth in that? Is it because of the child you experienced trauma around that? Is it because somebody else let you down in this, li- in this life? There are so many reasons as to why we act a certain way and it all makes sense. It all adds up. It's just very difficult to gain awareness around that. Look inside your head. Look inside making a change on your awareness and be better. Remember, it affects the way that you are towards your goals. It affects the way you work on a daily capacity. And more importantly, it affects the people around you. You may not be aware that there's certain things that you do that upset people or make their lives difficult. And you can be a better person. We're always trying to be a better person. Be the bigger person and work to this place where you have confidence in who you are, knowing why you act a certain way and be open with yourself And it will lead to the physical benefits. It will lead to de-stress. It will lead to achieving your goals. It will lead to better relationships. But you must look inside your head, not only your body. Have a blessed and productive day. And I'll see you in the next one. Peace.